As always, Lee Summit Town Hall is brought to you by Julia Hampton and Julia E. Hampton, CPA PC. Hey, Jason, Julia has been yours and everyone's trusted source for local tax preparation, payroll, and business services for more than 20 years. She is our person in Lee Summit. That is absolutely true. Look, I know you, the listener, have a strategy for how you're going to attack your Thanksgiving dinner. You've got maybe your like multiple plate strategy, or you're going to like load up on one thing and then load up on another thing. You've got a strategy how to eat dinner on Thursday. You should have a strategy how to manage your taxes in 2019. To do that, by the way, I think that's the first time anybody has ever put in the same analogy Thanksgiving dinner and tax strategies. I am a walking metaphorical god. That's really what this boils down to. <laughs> Um, anyway, so you made a tax strategy and you need to call Julia Hampton, call her today. Well, okay. Call her next week after the holiday. 816-554-0394. Tell her Jason and Nick sent you. Hello again and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I am Jason Norbury, and as always, I'm joined by a man who's been brined, stuffed, roasted, and is ready for carving. It's Nick Parker, the publisher of Lake Lee Summit. I'm not sure whether I'm hungry or scared. <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, Nick, when I say let's meet later, you might want to not show up. <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is, you know, when, when, when Elmer Fudd spotted the wabbit. Yes. <laughs> and it turned. He's juicy and ready for cooking. So, all right, Link to Lee Summit is the source of all the news you need about this very fine city. And today's unofficial sponsor is The Gravy, because it holds the whole meal together. Mm, gravy. Uh, I'm just going to I'm gonna let that set down for a second. Settle in. Yeah, Thanksgiving meal I'm needs thinking... to settle with that post-meal nap. I'm letting right. that settle down. Ah, now we're gonna have tomorrow's going to be a good day. We're going to have a short talk about city council because I was there last night. Nothing settles food like talking about city council. Jason, I want to start with the post-game snack. <laughs> I want to start with Amendment 2. All right. Well, um, <laughs> look, I, Amendment 2 is, you know, we all thought it was going to be easy voting on 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 the three different options. Amendment two is the one that passed, but it doesn't actually mean only what most of us thought it meant. There's going to be more than this, or it allows for more than just the dispensary store, right? Right. It is, um, as it turns out, a surprisingly complex um, thing to be able to regulate. And so last night. Um, the city had a resolution to create an administrative delay on um, approving or even taking in any applications for development plans, business licenses, any of that kind of stuff related to medical marijuana um, until basically August of 2019. And, and there's some reasons for that. And during that period of time, uh, the state is going to set its regulations and its statutes that relate to that about how these things are going to be done. And that'll allow them to do that. But I think that's not the most interesting part. I think that the most interesting part of what we were dealing with is it's not just a, a law about the store from which one would buy medical marijuana. Now, it is about that. And those are called dispensaries, right? 
but it's about growing or cultivation facilities, uh, extraction facilities where they extract the, uh, we'll call them volatile oils from the plant to put in stuff, the manufacturing of that stuff from the oil, uh, testing facilities, it deals with transportation. It deals with like this whole wide range of potential businesses that are related to medical marijuana. And the city has to come up with rules to regulate all of that. And they have to have those rules. They have to regulate them because municipalities cannot bar any of those businesses in that industry from coming right, out. and you know, if you if you think way back in March of this year, sort of in anticipation of one of these passing, the council had directed staff to propose an ordinance that would just flat ban them, um, and another ordinance that that tried to essentially do the same thing without actually banning the uh, banning the businesses. And Amendment Two has a prohibition against the ban, so that wasn't an option. So now we're forced to deal with that. So. Uh, City Attorney Brian Head and Assistant Chief uh, Jim Eden from the Fire Department gave presentations last night about some of the various administrative things that we're looking at going forward in 2019 um, that we're going to have to have conversations about and, and what were there. So planning and zoning. So where are the businesses? What kind of hours can they run? What do they, what do they have to look like? How do they have to be built? Um, building codes. Um, so for instance, these extraction facilities uh, there were, when Colorado first did their legalization, there were a series of explosions um, from these uh, people trying to do extraction in an unsafe way. So the International Fire Code is being amended as we speak to, uh, to account for that. And the city is going to try to make sure we adopt that kind of stuff to deal with all of that kind of thing. Um, you know, the criminal code, once now that the possession of certain amounts of metal of marijuana are legal for certain people, you know, how are the police going to manage that? What are their, what are the consequences of the Jackson County prosecutor's recent decision not to prosecute possession, personal possession cases, you know, how are all these things going to work in? So there's going to be a lot of conversation on a lot of fronts and a lot of city council committees and other groups, including the planning commission, which, where I still serve. Um, about how to regulate these businesses in these ways. And I thought that the staff did a really, really good job of, of clearing out the, the differences of opinion on whether access to medical marijuana is a good thing or a non-good thing, um, and really start to sort of deal with the, the really boring, grindy stuff of getting this, you know, how do we actually regulate it once it's here in our lives. Well, and I think for people like us, and I know there's maybe one other person in town, Jason, that likes the nerdy, processy stuff. This is going to be an interesting thing to watch because of the interplay of the state, the state amendment, local regulations versus then federal regulations and how all of that works and how the city is going to parse it all out and piece it together. Right. And, I, and it, that will be, um, I think that'll be interesting. And then you, you throw in the, um, you know, Lee Summit Cares has taken a very strong anti-marijuana stance, and they um, are very willing and capable of speaking publicly at all of these different events and, and how the political pressures are going to bend some of that, as well as just the sort of dry administrative and regulatory pressures that we have to deal with. And all of that will be an interesting, 
interplay over the next year that we that we literally we may not get resolution on until November or December of 2019. Now there is a date written into the amendment of when things are supposed to be. Can I can I say open for business? Yeah, I think so. I mean, so keep in mind that right now the the state has or had I should say I think it becomes effective on December 6th the amendment officially effective on December 6th. Uh, then there are they have 180 days from that date that's the state to promulgate their rules and their regulations and things of that sort. And then that's December 6th of this year, uh, right? This year, yeah. Here in about a week, um, a little bit more than a week uh, away. And then, in, and that, so they have to have their rules done by June 4th of 2019. And then the Department of Health, um, the State Department of Health, has to begin or was, is able to begin accepting applications for licenses um, on August 3rd, 240 days from that December 6th date. That is the date essentially that the, um, that the city is pushing their decision out to, um, that August 3rd. So until the, essentially until the state starts issuing licenses under the rules that they put together, then the city is not going to do anything in terms of granting any permits or anything of that sort. Now, I think that whole time the city will be working quite diligently on cra crafting their own rules and regulations. But in, in the meantime, there won't be any, you're not going to see a dispensary pop up on 291 at any point before August of 2019. Just isn't going to happen. Jason, in other news last night, I heard this rumor that you and the rest of your planning commission team were all called into the principal's office for a joint session, city council and planning commission. A joint session, huh? After we talked about marijuana? <laughs> oh, very well done. <laughs> very well done. You should take credit for that pun, even though I know you didn't mean it. Um, so, yes, we did. Uh, last night, we had a... Words are important, Jason. Uh, we had a joint meeting um, to collaborate and talk about ways to work more efficiently um, through the public hearing process for applications um, that come to the planning commission and then the city council. and. I won't bore you with all of the details, but essentially what I think the, the consensus was is that the city council would like to have some um, additional legwork done perhaps by the planning commission, but also some capacity to shorten their, their public hearing process um, in a way that makes some sense to them. And, and I think that the, the, the consequence of that is putting a little bit more emphasis on getting the public interaction and the public involvement at the planning commission level so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel or redo the same hearing over and over again at the city council, which should allow us to shorten um, city council's uh, meetings, which are, as we know, they tend to run long. That is the most glorious part of that idea is that we could have city council meetings not last six hours. Right, and, and everybody thinks that's a good idea. Um, and nobody wants to be there. Not even the people who are there testifying. They don't want to be there for six hours. Well, well, and I think anything, and this is, you know, this falls right into into our wheelhouse. Anything that encourages public involvement earlier in the process. I think as, as we've seen through a lot of the, a lot of these hearings lately, is that public sentiment can change the way developments are done. Absolutely. They can change the plans, and but it can be done in a more efficient manner if people are encouraged to get involved earlier 
And then that way it doesn't at the very last moment when we tend to start paying attention, which is when it hits city council, then we're not having that long, long, long city council meeting. And then we have to do it all over again because there were last minute changes. It's all the developers, everyone will tell you it's much easier if these problems and these things are, are come to come to the forefront early. Right. And I think that that at the end, I think part of that would is hoping that pl the planning commission as a whole feels more empowered to delay their recommendation until they're ready to give a complete recommendation on a complete, you know, on a ready project to go forward. So maybe instead of like we have seen sometimes this year where we recommend something for approval based on what we've seen, it goes to city council, they ask questions and remand it back to us um, to, to kind of go through some things. We may, the planning commission may be more comfortable and willing to say, hey, wait, this isn't really fully right. Go make these changes and then bring back that and then we can push forward a more complete project up to city council that's had even more of that public input uh, to be heard. And that is always a good thing. All right. So that was all of that. And I, I could bore everyone with hours and hours of conversation about how uh, about the interaction and the interplay between planning commission and city council. But since I love you, the listener, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to ask Nick the most important question of the week. What's the favorite side dish on Thanksgiving? My wife? Because look, we all know the turkey is important or whatever your main thing is, but really the star of the show are the side dishes. That's true. My wife would give you a very quick answer that says the classic green bean casserole. That is her thing. She loves it. I'm going to... She is a true American. She is a true American. I'm going to answer this in a, with one that will not surprise you or anyone who knows me. All of them. <laughs> I was gonna. I was figuring you guys had tacos beside dishes at Thanksgiving, and that's where you were gonna go. And now that I've said that out loud, I'm thinking to myself, how can I do tacos beside oh, dishes? You, at you get the roll and you crack it open and you put stuff in it, and then that's like I've never taco. done that as a side dish. But I will tell you this: I have used leftover turkey for for turkey tacos later on. Well, of course you have, but I'm at the meal trying to figure out some sort of way to like a side dish taco to figure that out. I don't know. How I'm you not a huge dressing saying. and stuffing fan. They're okay. They're good. But I like, I love sweet potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. The green bean casserole is good. Everybody has this one. The one ant who brings the awesome deviled eggs. That's at the top of my list. Mm -hmm. uh, that's actually, you know, who the best deviled egg is? Uh, cook in my family is is my son he has uh, adopted deviled eggs as a thing he loves and he makes all kinds of interesting little deviled eggs so maybe i should encourage him to crank out a dozen of those for us uh, on the weekend and well, so encourage delivery to the parker household oh okay well you know we live so far away you can't possibly come see us well that wraps up that part of of our show we're gonna now dig back into our our theme for the month on entrepreneurism we have a guest rick Vire from summit bank he's going to join us and talk a little bit about financing and funding from the beginning of, of a startup process through when you're when your business is ready to grow and take that next step so we're going to talk with Rick, but before that, we're going to hear a little bit about our new sponsor, Shred Casey. We are happy to welcome Shred Casey to our family of partners and sponsors. If you haven't met Ryan out at Shred, you should. He's a good guy. He's a little intimidating. Jason, he's huge. 
but he's a good guy and he's always willing to help help you out. He's going to start helping me and Mrs. Leakley Summit remember what it was like to be fit and healthy. For everyone else, here's a big announcement. Six-week Get Fit Challenge coming soon. It's a $3,000 grand prize. You get unlimited group classes, a weekly meal plan with a grocery list and recipe book, two 3D body scans. That creeps me out. It freaks me out a little bit, but apparently he's the only one around that's doing this. And you also are going to get some discounts on supplements. All right. So here's the thing. You know, and I know, and everybody who listens to this knows what the holidays do to your uh, diet and health situation. It does not ever improve it. Holiday calories don't count, Jason. Well, you know what? The scale lies and or disagrees and says that they do oh, at the end man. of the day. So instead of waiting to make a New Year's resolution, what you should do now is while you are in the middle of the holiday, you should supplement your holiday eating with really good fitness habits. Start to build those good fitness habits now during the holiday season. So that when it's after the holiday season, then the progress really will kick in and you'll be motivated to stick to it in the long term. So I'm thinking instead of, you know, trying to trying to wait till it's all said and done, you start in early, you take this six week challenge, you get yourself through the holidays, you feel better when you're done, and you're gonna keep going. Our new friend Ryan will be very happy with your reasoned and logical approach to that. I'm scared. Absolutely. Absolutely impenetrable logic I just used. <laughs> call Shred KC. Go visit them in downtown Lee Summit and tell them Jason and Nick sent you. We're here with Rick Vire, President and CEO of Summit Bank of Kansas City. Rick, thank you for joining us today. Jason, my pleasure. We're, we wanted to chat with you um, in our entrepreneurial focus for the month. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, banks and financial institutions and how you interplay with entrepreneurs, new businesses, and, and established businesses that wanted to grow. So with that, um, Nick, you had the first question, so I want you to kick it over I, to you. I did, and I think I think the the best place to start. You know, we've talked about that entrepreneurs come in all sizes, and, and I right. But I, I think the the first place to start for me anyway is so if if someone is the new entrepreneur, they've got the idea. I want to know a little bit about that decision and that debate that the entrepreneur has to go to about how to fund that idea to make the idea happen. Is how they how they weigh options between funding it themselves, going for a small business loan, trying to find an investor, what those options look like and how those options are weighed. Well, it's interesting. What we often discover is that one mad scientist, one entrepreneur can't think of everything initially because they're not wired that way. They're wired to have this, this idea, this ingenious nugget of knowledge that's gonna change everything. Now with that idea, what do I do with it? I'll start a company, and then I'll grow the company, then I'll make lots of money and I'll be successful. Well, there are about 4,000 steps to go through between that. And the first one is, and it'll save a lot of, lot of trouble, is to des- develop a good strategic plan. There are a thousand ways that you can write a strategic plan, and I think we've discovered the best source for that is to go to sba.gov or sba.org um, and just do a search for a template for a strategic plan. SBA has been doing this a lot, a long time, and the template can be for 
a mom and pop store, store. It can be for some place with 10 employees or 1,000 employees. But somebody who wants to be successful has to think about certain things like, how am I going to fund the company? Who is going to fund the company? And once I open the doors, how are we going to generate that first dollar to pay expenses that we've created? And unfortunately, a lot of people don't even think about that. They just have an idea. And when they come to the bank, they say, I've got this great idea. I want to launch this company. Okay, so where do you go from here? How are you going to, where are you going to have your company? I haven't thought about that. Well, what kind of entity are you going to be? What do you mean? Well, are you going to be an LLC or are you going to be a C-Corp? What? And so they, they don't surround themselves initially with people with supplemental expertise, like an accountant, like a banker, like an, attor- an attorney or an insur- insurance agent who can help them stay between the rails and grow with knowledge. You just like you you've like we were two minutes into this interview and you've already shattered the dreams of infinite entrepreneurs. You're like, wait, <laughs> I, I don't have to think, think so. about all of those things. But but I think your point is right. Is that you need a, nobody has all those expertise. I mean, as someone who has helped fund companies and deal with or, you know find start companies with the legal side as the lawyer, I don't know about all the accounting stuff, all the right. banking stuff, all these other bits and pieces. And so you do need to have those people there to help to help guide you through that whole process. Talk a little bit, and, and we've we've talked with some other guests and, and on different shows about the need for those those mentors and those res, those people resources. Right. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the, um, let's talk a little bit about, about the, the resources uh, really for, for financial and how you look at, how you look at those different types of, of businesses as you're going to set those up and, and what that means to, to, to funding and how you, how you go about getting that. Right. Well, that's just a tiny component of, of the many decisions that have to be made. And we will often recommend to a small, even a company that's ongoing, it might be a small company, not large enough to have its own board of directors. And we'll recommend that they maybe consider a local advisory board that does have their insurance broker and their attorney and their CPA and their bank representative, not necessarily to meet together, but to meet periodically I'll use Julia Hampton as an example if she were to happen to be somebody's... By the way, a fantastic choice and a great sponsor of this very podcast. Oh, and I didn't even know that. There, boom. (laughs) We like it when a plan comes together. Although that wasn't planned. All right, so tell us about about Julia because she'll be a good example. So often, if somebody applies for a bank loan, one of the requirements is to see some financial statements, either projections or historical financials. And... Ironically, many business owners think that those are for the benefit of the bank, and they're not. They're for the benefit of the business owner to see if they're building equity in their own company, to see if their liabilities are becoming disproportionately high, and on the income statement, to see if, my gosh, am I making money or am I losing money? Most business owners don't utilize their accountant enough to ask the accountant like Julia to explain the financials. What, what are the trends? Compare me, Julia, to different points in my own business cycle. Go to the end of last year, go mid-year, and go now. Do I have some ratios that are deteriorating in my business? 
or am I improving? Is my cost of good sales becoming disproportionately high? If the entrepreneur or the business owner doesn't have that skill, that's why a good accountant can can look into those areas. Where do where do you see people go wrong in that process usually? What's what is the I guess maybe a common kind of missing link there? It's interesting they, they ignore it altogether sometimes. <laughs> and then and that's sad because I I guess sometimes business people think that if they just run the company and they have money in the bank, then they're making profit. And those are two entirely different things. Cash flow is one thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a profitable operation. And and an account is just one excellent resource. But as you know, Jason, an attorney can do exactly the same thing to buffer that company from liability mm-hmm. or to buffer the owners from liability may dr- or or the tax treatment that will drive your your recommendation on whether it's a partnership, an LLC, C Corp, or, or any form of business entity. So do you find, because um, you're fairly, you know, you're pretty well connected in the community, you've been on and, and all these, so you're, you're well known, and your bank has uh, developed a, a practice of helping support local and smaller well, thank you. Uh, operations, at least, I mean, that's from what I see, it's not just like, uh, writ from your employees that they send me things. Say this to Rick, make him feel good. No, uh, but you've done those things, so you are well known. So I would imagine that people come to you uh, for advice or or even for thinking they may need um, financing or a bank, some sort of a bank product that you might provide. Right. What when they don't when they're not ready for that? Either they're not ready, they don't meet your standards, or they're just in a spot where that doesn't doesn't make sense for them. Where do you find that they they've missed most? Is it is it the accountant? Is it something else? What is the what is the the missing piece that they fall short when they're not actually ready for for what you guys do, but um, are ready to take that some some step to move towards that? Well, it seems to always boil down to strategic planning at some level, and the number one um, item that's probably the most important to a creditor to a bank is the business's ability to consistently be profitable, and repay a loan. We actually... Wait, ability to repay Hold matters? It. What? What? <laughs> what? That's I got to repay this? Crazy talk. That's a curveball I was not expecting. This is why I have not gotten very many loans. They expect you to repay it. I now understand. <laughs> what, um, what is interesting is that when we look at a projection from the company and discover that the business doesn't cash flow... And we or another bank will say, well, I'm sorry, uh, unfortunately, your, um, your projections or your, your history of, of developing revenue and being profitable d- disqualifies you. It's not enough. We're actually doing them a great service because what we never want is to go ahead and make the loan and get a year down the road or 18 months and all of a sudden the business hits the wall and then we have to have that tough talk about what are you going to change, and if you can't change, how are we going to wind this down so that the bank doesn't ultimately have a loss? People don't take that well when they're turned down for a loan and don't realize that it's actually the biggest favor we can sometimes do for them. Right. Now, do you have um, often in these sorts of situations, is that just a fundamental of the business, of that business idea, or that they just aren't cash flow, or – are there steps that they could take in the interim to get there? Well, when a, when a loan is underwritten correctly, there are 
often multiple sources of repayment. And the primary source is almost always going to be the profitable operation of the company consistently on a, a sustainable basis. But the second, God forbid, is we and the, the bank will take collateral for the loan in the event that the company is not able to make the debt service. And so we look at cash flow. We look at a second source of cash flow. So that might be second source might be the investors have other earning assets that can supplement cash flow in the event that the company might have some seasonal downturns. And so we look at other sources of cash. And then we, beyond that, we have to say, well, what if all of the cash goes away? Then we have to look at the underlying collateral. Did we take a deed of trust on the building? Did we take a security position on accounts receivable and, and furniture, fixtures, and equipment? And sadly, um, that's, that's unfortunately, well, unfortunately what sometimes happens is we have to call the note and start to liquidate those assets. Oh, and, I've, I've, I've seen that yeah, on, I know on you the have. lawyer's side. And, and you have. And then you know where it goes beyond that. <laughs> yes, it does. Is it goes, goes to the guarantors. Goes to, and goes to my, yeah, it goes to the guarantors and to my former job. <laughs> so. <laughs> you know, and it's really sad. And so uh, a close relationship between the entrepreneur and its business partners, like the accountant and the banker and the attorney, are critically important so that somebody always has the entrepreneur's back. You, you mentioned some, uh, actually in there that you called the, the banker, the accountant, the lawyer, the insurance agent, business partners. That, that's an interesting way to frame that. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, if we make a loan to your company and, it's, and we loan 80% of the value of the company, then we are your largest investor all of the sudden. Do we own it? No but we have a claim against 80% of it. So we are now more invested in the company than you as the owner is. And um, I'm a resource as a bank person. The attorney is a very, very solid resource. If your company has to collect on its account receivable and has trouble, and you probably have done this, you have to step in and have to help a business collect its receivables. And that's a good partnership to have. And I already mentioned how valuable an accountant will be reviewing the financials every month to note trends, positive and negative. Um, it's so sad because a lot of business owners will just ignore their own financials. And all of a sudden, and you know cash is king. Cash is the most, and all of a sudden they wake up and say, what am I going to do? I don't have sales or or I only had three accounts receivable, three big customers, and I lost two of them. What am I going to do? Well, you should have strategically anticipated that and diversified those customers before that happened. And that's what resources help the business owner do. Does that make a little bit of sense? Right. I, to me, it was an interesting way to just think about those because people think of you know their accountant, their lawyer as – uh, their accountant and, and their and lawyer. Another bill right. to pay. Well, it's a bill to pay, and it's like, you know, you got to do the thing, or you have to, you know, people only call their lawyer when they have a problem, typically. I mean, or that's how they think about it. Or maybe right. they're, they get their financial statements, or they, you know, their checkbook is reconciled and their payroll's done, but they don't think of their, and that's just a service that's provided. It's not something that you think of as a valuable piece of advice or information 
to help your business do well. Right. And so it's in terms of when you say business partner to most people, they think of, okay, this is the person who's in with money or, or time or equity in the company in a way, whereas at what you were talking about, where the bank brings a loan or any of these other services. So I thought that was a very interesting way to think of those, those assets like a bank can do. To, to go past the transactional relationship, because I, you know, I, I haven't thought of my banker as, as, as my buddy and my partner before or, or, or the attorney. Right. I, I never think of Jason, the attorney, as my friend. I, I really <laughs> never, never do that. Well, you don't pay me like your lawyer, so it's fine. <laughs> this is also true. We're factual on this show. You keep bringing up the need for a plan, a strategic plan, and we had um, – couple of other guests before Chuck Cooper with with Velocity and and John Cundiff and they spent a lot of time on that the need for a plan the need for a plan so do you when you as as a banker as someone on that financial side when you sit down to try to help someone with that planning step is there is there a certain aspect you key in on or do you try to look a 30,000 foot big picture well it, it depends a little bit Nick on the business but a good strategic plan will have attainable goals and objectives that are reasonable. And those aren't just bullet points that somebody will pick out of the air. They actually uh, should be something important to the company and measurable because the very last thing that a business owner should do on a strategic plan is to evaluate to see if the plan is executed and it was successful. But is there even a need for the product of that business? So you develop the ob objectives and the goals, and maybe you survey your local market in some fashion to see if even there's a need for that widget or that service. Is the leadership in the company, is the management team appropriate? Is it skilled? If it's larger, does it have an HR, for example, an HR director who knows enough to meet all of the requirements for there? Do they have internal financial support? But the leadership in that company has to be appropriate for the size of the company. And the next step might be what, what equipment, what furniture fixtures do I need? What, what inventory do I need? And those are all budget items. And then developing the budget. And then you put that all in and what, what are the hours? I mean, there are a gazillion things to think about. Okay, so let, let's once you so your first advice I think you, you, is pretty clear here that someone before they 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 want to come to you um, or or an equivalent there to with a big idea they need to start to develop that plan and they need to go through I think that one of the interesting things about the the SBA's strategic plan forms is that they ask all of those questions right right and those are questions that an entrepreneur who's really good at thinking of a widget right or providing a service may not think about in terms of how do I scale this into a business um, in that way. What's another, if someone is sort of internally, um, they've done a plan and they've kind of worked through their pro some of that process, if not all of it, what, what are signs that they may want to look for that they may be in a spot where they're ready for uh, financing or, you know, I'll, I'll call it advanced banking services over and above just a checking account? Um, or, or savings account there. So what, what, what are things that signposts that someone might want to look for when they're ready to do that kind of, that kind of work? Well, Jason, one of the steps in a good strategic plan is to develop that initial budget 
which would be a balance sheet and an income statement and maybe a list of capital expenditures that all require money. And so when I look at an initial balance sheet, there will be total assets of X to start this company. And then what will the assets be at the end of 12 months or six months? And not that I need to know, but the business owner needs to know the, the, what capital is required to grow the company. But initially, if I see that it's going to require $100,000 to launch this, then that's the asset side. And then the other side of the balance statement is going to be the liabilities and then the equity. The equity is how much am I putting into the company as the business owner. The liability is the bank or investors or investors who loan money, not investors who create capital. And so my job when I do the strategic plan is see where in the heck I'm going to get the money to fund $100,000 in assets required to launch this. And I think a lot about Bob Gorley, who is the probably the best, one of the best entrepreneurs who ever drew a breath. And Bob, uh, one of his mantras is when you're facing a group of investors, the number one thing they want to know is how am I going to get my money back? And when will I get my money back? And so if I'm going to pitch some potential investors that go beyond the three F's, and you know what those are, friends, families, and fools, <laughs> to, to go beyond those. I feel like I'm very much in that third category. So we're going to go from there. I, I feel like, you know, my friends and the fools probably match. <laughs> well, uh, that, that's a subject for the main part of our, our, our podcast today. <laughs> But probably the place that the business owner will ultimately be is at a bank uh, presenting this. And uh, that's going to require not convincing, but, but compelling the, the, the bank representative to believe that the owner can accomplish this. And um, one, of the, one of the most important agreements is how much money is this owner actually putting into it? You would be maybe not amazed at how often we hear, well, I don't have any money to put into this, but it's a great idea, and, and I know I can do it, and I know we can make it. Well, how much do you have to put into it? Well, I don't have anything. And so, well, what collateral do you have? I don't really have anything, but I got this great idea, and I know it'll succeed. And it's just an awkward situation. So how does one then prepare to be able to, where where do you advise you remember that somebody group of, to start? You remember that advisory board? Talk to, talk to an accountant to do a workable, pro forma balance sheet and income statement, because that per, that accountant will know immediately if it's attainable or it's not, and if it is, what steps need to be taken to succeed. Same thing with the attorney. You know, spend an hour or two with with a good lawyer who will identify a whole lot of things to think about, including, you know, what kind of entity do I even want to be? A sole proprietor? Well, then I'm personally exposed. Let's create an LLC where at least I have some buffer of liability, which is your area. Mm -hmm. But just research. The, the strategic plan template is designed to provoke thought, just to, to stimulate thought. But it's up to the owner to fill in all the right blanks to get there. All right, so... Rick, it, we've been talking about getting uh, starting a business. 
Um, and I think one of the things we want to do is what is it now we, someone has established a business, but maybe it's time for them to go to the next scale or to the next stage. I hope growth. to be there someday. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> when I grow up, when you can pay your podcast host, then you, maybe you can get yourself there, but, uh, ouch. Oh, oh, it's ouch. harsh. It's harsh. Ouch. Is that can or want to? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, well, I probably also probably should deserve to be paid. It's probably the other part that we have to deal with there. But so when someone wants to do, um, to grow, what do they need to do, um, once again, before they, um, or what do they need to do in preparation to come talk to a bank? Probably, um, Jason, the most terminal thing that a business can do initially is grow too fast. It can only grow in consistent with its own capital and its own ability to financially support its growth. But we see, and you see, and you see, so many companies that just go gangbusters and they start strong and all of the sudden they have nowhere to, to go because they've outstripped their own ability so they have to take a step back. What probably the best counsel would be is to consistently understand the company's own financial performance. If I'm the owner, I wanna know every day how my company is doing. I want to know the sales level. I want to know what my profit margins are. I want to know what my ratios are. If I'm manufacturing something or I'm selling something, I want to know every day what my cost of goods is. And if it starts to get higher, use a restaurant as an example, if my food costs start becoming uh, higher, disproportionate to my sales, then I'm going to have problems because all of a sudden I'm in red ink instead of black ink. I want to be able to budget regularly and annually and then live within my budget, not grow too fast, but mainly look at the ratios and make certain that I'm consistent with my own profit margins and my, and my pro- profit goals. And so then if you can see that and you can still see growth from there. That's, that, I, that's ideal, Jason. That's ide- well, look, we're going to draw a rosy picture here, right? Because nobody starts these businesses or grows these businesses with the idea that they're going to be like, meh, so-so yeah, so successful. Make Maybe I'll make profit. Maybe I won't. Whatever. They, you know, We all start our business, our idea, with we're going to do this and it's going to explode. And- it's the most genius, unheard of idea <laughs> ever. You mentioned, you know, at the, at the start of that answer, you mentioned the businesses that grow too fast, and that's a bad thing. Not only are you are you a banker, but but you're you're involved with with the local Velocity Group. You've, you're a mentor to other business owners around town. How do you have that conversation with somebody? Because all of us, when we have our ideas, you, you, you're a business owner. We have these things. Growing too fast does not seem like that would be a real problem to the layman. So how do you have that conversation with somebody to say we need to make sure we're growing at the appropriate rate? Well, there are signs, and that's why it's important for a business owner to um, to see their own financial statements every month. Um, I hate to even say quarterly because quarterly, well, every day be even better, but we really often require our customers to present to us financial statements on a monthly basis so we can see that. Some of the warning signs are all of a sudden I can't make payroll or I'm struggling because I keep adding employees because of growth, but the sales aren't growing and the profit isn't growing, but all of a sudden my overhead is growing. Um, we use the example of cost of goods sold and, and you wanna make sure your profit margin is consistent, 
But if that starts to narrow, all of a sudden I'm growing too fast and, and my cash flow isn't there. So all through the income statement are triggers, are places that you can measure regularly, like gross sales. What are my total sales? Are they going up? Are they going up too fast? Are they growing faster than my other margins? And that's where the accountant watching over the shoulder of the business owner is really beneficial. We see a lot of companies that grow too fast, and um, it often doesn't go well. They have to take a breath, step back, and sometimes they can make adjustments, and sometimes they can't. Well, that was that was my next question. If you're in that position, what what kind of options are there, and how do you make that pivot to to slow things but keep it going? Well, there are only two sides of the income statement. You either make you increase gross sales, which often isn't as easy as it seems. And so I really it, wish it were. <laughs> and <laughs> sadly, <Don't> we all. <laughs> but but if you can't magically make your gross revenues, your dollars in the door bigger, then you have to reduce expenses so that you maintain the bottom line uh, in in your well in an in industry. Just pick restaurants. Maybe their profit margin is seven percent consistently, and that's going to drive a whole lot of. What I do with, not me, if I was a restaurant owner, what my margins are supposed to be so that at the end of the income statement, I have a 7% profit margin. I can't magically make revenues go up, but I can control all of the operating expenses and the cost of sales. It's either going to be above or below that line. There's nowhere else to do it. Well, that is that is starkly cold. Just as like, well, look, you know, here. You here, think I was a lawyer or something? Or a banker? <laughs> like, just like, look at the numbers. Was, you got to make very attorney ass. Yeah, you got to make this one bigger or that one smaller. And sorry, that's your <laughs> that's your trick right there. So I, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, well, there are a couple. There are two or three absolutes, Jason. One is, if people work for the company, then they have to be paid, mm-hmm. and that drives a responsibility. If there is debt. That has to be serviced, period. And then the third semi-absolute is if there are investors, are investors in the company, at some point those investors will expect a return, either of their investment or earnings, dividends, something. You you do mention something, and I think this is something that I, I'm not sure a lot of business owners, uh, small business owners, think about on the first thing. is I think in addition to those, one of the things that they have to think about is what are they making, right? The, the owner of the business has to, well, continue to eat and have more. They, they mm-hmm. have a mortgage and all those sorts of things. Do you find that that's something that, that comes in that people sometimes let slip or they don't put into the, into the, the actual balance sheet is, you know, owner's draw? Pay or yourself. Pay <laughs> yourself. Yes, pay yourself as you go through there. Uh, that is very important. And often when a business starts to struggle, the first thing that the owner does is stop paying herself or himself. And that's unfortunate because there are obligations that the owner has outside of the company, a house payment, a family to support. So it all gets back to um, the strategic plan and the, and the people supporting that to make certain that there's not a likelihood that the company will fail. It's, it's hard. It's, it takes hard work. It, it requires keeping your eye on the ball. But the minute you take the eye off the ball, the chance of failure just multiplies 
exponentially. You have anything else? Not on that. Okay. Well, no, now that can... he's now that he's depressed us and <laughs> <laughs> like I've lived this reality. Gee, I already know this drill. <laughs> thank, thanks, you know, Rick, for taking this... <laughs> all the fun out of being a business owner. Somehow this wasn't <laughs> supposed to go this way. You know, it can be unbelievably rewarding, and it is when a business succeeds, and and it does so when the business owner will multitask to the point of surrounding herself or himself with the appropriate level of talent to ensure success. And and I think that this, the hidden thing in here, and you've, you've kind of you, you've touched on this very briefly, is that you as a lender or as a banker and an investor in a company, you want the company to succeed. Absolutely. You want them to repay that loan um, and to service the debt so that the bank does what it does in that process. And so there, you can't there is a point at which I suppose your creditors, as as my prior professional experience will lend, uh, become adversarial. But I think for a long stretch, well before that, they are a partner or an ally in that, and they want you to succeed. Correct. Well, yeah. let's talk a little bit, Rick, about the different ways of, of funding, whether it's the start of a business or funding growth. You know, if and when we're we're at that point, and I'm I like to say I like to say if and when and when I right. stay with when 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 you're say when. nascent podcasting enterprise yes. is ready to grow yeah right. when I'm big time Rick when I'm ready to really make this the um, all of America town hall <laughs> there are options I can I can go to to a bank like yours for a loan I can go to angel investors can you talk a little bit about those those options and and what the different considerations might be. Angel investors are typically not the first source of capital because uh, traditionally that's, that's a more expensive source of capital. Those investors expect a return sooner than later and often expect revenue from their investment in the meantime. Um, the, as I started to mention, probably the least expensive it would be people just investing in the company because there's no requirement to immediately repay, nor is their debt service. But to do the other part, or the other half of the balance sheet would be the liability part, is to create bank debt. And the, the cost for bank debt today is reasonably inexpensive. Prime interest rate today is 5.25%. And uh, it feels yeah. like that's something you pay attention to on a day-to-day basis. I, you know, believe it or not, I might. <laughs> I might. And I can't tell you how long it's going to be at 5.25%, but it is right now. But that's a relatively inexpensive uh, source of funds. It does create debt, and there is a loan payment to make. But again, if the company is strategic enough that it knows it will, it believes it will have sales, it manages its cash flow, then that and the, and the bank will also confirm this to the best that it can will confirm the company's ability to make the the payment um and down the line would be other sources of capital but i think those are the probably the two most popular at this level and that's why we and other banks use sba as well because if there's maybe it's a a little riskier loan that a conventional uh, a conventional loan wouldn't be appropriate, then the SBA will step in with a 75% guarantee. And um, sometimes in those instances, the collateral might not be enough to support it as long as the debt service coverage and the cash flows are there. The SBA will often support that. I think really what I've learned today and what everybody else should learn is that go make friends with really smart people and 
let them help you answer you know, all the questions. You say that half in jest, Nick, but there's a lot of truth there in is, that. There there's is a, a ton of truth, in that. Of truth in that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, Knowing what you don't know and then going and finding people who know that stuff, that's a huge, huge piece. Almost, I mean, it's applicable in a lot of places, but I think especially in a, in a, in a small business or an entrepreneurial setting. I had a conversation with another small business owner yesterday, and, and, you know, and, and the conversation was basically the toughest battle – to learn is is knowing where your lane is, when 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 to stay in it. That's exactly right. Awesome. Well, Rick, thank you for taking time and and I honestly, this is as educational uh, a bit of interview as we've had in quite a while. I've learned a great deal about like how to think about these sorts of things. I honestly, I wish I had talked to you twenty years ago when I was starting my own business. <laughs> when you were eight, but, yeah, that would be uh-huh, good. Uh-huh. A little older than that, wow. sir. A little I like older it. Than I like that, it when he sucks up to us. That's of nice. Us He's very nice. This is why Rick is popular around town, and you and I are, are not, not always so popular. So, but Rick, thank you for taking it's time to pleasure. talk with us. We really appreciate it, and and you've added, I think, a great deal to our, our entrepreneurial discussion this morning. Jason, big announcement. Santa is coming to downtown. Santa! Our friends budget blinds. We all got together. We're bringing Santa in for a special Stories with Santa event. Santa will be reading some of his favorite Christmas stories to kids from 6 to 8, December 14th at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. In addition to reading some of his stories, there's a chance for the kids to come in and get their pictures taken. They can leave with instant prints right there. All we ask is that you bring a few donations to help our friends out at Lee Summit Social Services. We've got stockings. They need filling, guys. We need gift cards. We need gloves. We need scarves. We'll even take cash. This is the time of year. Lee Summit Social Services really needs the community's help. Here's your opportunity to do it and an opportunity to see your favorite holiday person. I'm not talking about me, Jason. I'm talking about Santa. And you know, and thanks to Budget Blinds once again. What a wonderful community partner and good sponsor of our show they are. They they keep, they, they time and time again, they open their store and their lives up. Uh, to do good for the community um, by bringing people in and engaging them to, to help as well as, you know, come in and see their cool automatic shades and the other things that they do to uh, treat your windows and your home um, in a beautiful and safe Santa's coming. And you need to tell Santa the Jason and Nick sent you so that we may be able to squeak onto that knife list this time of year. 